Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Crypto Business Podcast, helping you navigate the frontier of crypto. And now, here is your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Crypto Business Podcast, brought to you by Social Media Examiner. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for innovative thinkers who want to know what works in the world of Web 3.0. Today, I'm going to be joined by Jared Wynn, and we're going to explore community and crypto from the perspective of a former executive at a major crypto company. I think you're going to find this really fascinating, and I hope you listen to the entire interview. And by the way, I am at Stelzner on Instagram. And if you're new to this podcast, be sure to follow this show so you don't miss any of our future content. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. And now for this week's interview with Jared Wynn. Helping you to simplify your crypto journey. Here is this week's expert guide. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Jared Wynn. If you don't know who he is, he's a blockchain growth advisor and CEO of Wynn Solutions, a blockchain advisory agency that helps blockchain projects launch and grow. Uh, he's formerly senior vice president of Binance.com. Jared, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you so much, Michael. Glad to be here. There's a lot of blockchains in your intro there, so that's a bit of a tongue twister trying to say that word like so many times. Today, we're going to talk about the role of community in crypto. And community is really an important part of crypto, and it's so much of what you do with your agency. But before we get into that, I would love to hear your backstory. How did you get into marketing and ultimately into crypto? Start wherever you want to start. Oh man, that's starting early. So uh, it all started when, no. So essentially I jumped into marketing, just kind of, I fell into it, to be honest. My whole life, I always really enjoyed teaching people about 
technology, about just helping people with their technical gadgets and so forth. But I also thought, you know, okay, maybe I'll be a teacher. And I thought I'd teach people math and so forth. And then ultimately determined that that wasn't the, the best of routes for me. Um, and somehow merged the combination of teaching people about tech and then teaching people how to understand it. So I guess my life's passion was always about helping people to understand complex technical subjects and otherwise putting it into terms that they could understand. So that kind of migrated, if you think of it as uh, marketing in itself, where uh, it's a very large component of marketing. And I jumped into the Silicon Valley startup scene and worked there for about 10 years collectively across various startups in marketing, sales, biz dev, and really just kind of grew my roots. And that was kind of the uh, the start of it. What were you doing for those startups? What was your role? Were you on the marketing side, the biz dev side of it? Like, what were you doing for those startups? I started as marketing. So largely it was channel marketing, which essentially is teaching partners how to sell your product. So then you can improve the sell through of your various channel partners. So it was kind of teaching through layers. So I was teaching the salespeople of our various partner organizations how to sell SaaS software and things of that nature. Got it. You know, that was kind of where I was at. Um, and I had heard about Bitcoin and thought, wow, okay, people are getting rich on this. You know, it's a human motive, like something has to incentivize you to want to learn about something. And that was a good motive for many people. Um, and then what really intrigued me about it was the underlying technology of blockchain. And then as Ethereum came out, and then other opportunities for more projects to participate in this ecosystem started to present itself, I thought, you know, this is a very complex area that I'm very passionate about. And I thought, how can I contribute? at a deeper level. And that's where I jumped into the crypto space, started an advisory agency, and it wasn't very long. It was only about a year and a half before I was offered a, a role at Binance as a senior vice president, where I worked with them for some time. What year was it that you you started, like help people like on, on a calendar, like what year was it, like the year and a half or whatever before you started working with Binance or when did you start working with Binance? Just so people have that perspective. It was about 2018 when I started heavily in crypto and it was about 2019 when I started with Binance. So how did that connection happen? I'm just curious, like, was there not that many people in the space? Did you happen to be hanging in the same circles? I'm curious how in the world you got at Binance. Cause, and, and by the way, explain to people that don't understand what Binance's role was back then and what they are today. Like that's it. That's a big opportunity that fell in your lap. It sounds like, right? Yeah. So Binance is uh, the single arguably biggest company in cryptocurrency. And it's uh, debatable that they have a valuation comparable to that of Uber based on their performance. Right. So I actually managed to be on a panel discussion with someone from Binance and thereafter ultimately had a very long discussion with them about the things that I felt that they could do better with regards to a public relations perspective. In short, I've always been the type of person to say, you know, offer free advice and then ultimately, you know, if they want services to then go down that route. So I, I actually, I offered them free advice and free work. And then ultimately they decided that I was doing too much work for them not to be paid. So I kind of forced myself in um, and they were grateful to accept. Yeah. And Binance is, aren't they the largest exchange in the world right now? Crypto exchange? Yes, absolutely. And the largest cryptocurrency company in general. So tell us a little bit about that story. Once you got in there, what did you do? How small was the company? Was it just starting? Like, give us a little bit of that background. The company was pretty well established. I think Binance at this point has uh, over a thousand employees. When I was there, it was closer to 500, 700, something in that range. But the, the caveat was, was that they didn't have much of a US-based exposure or any advisory from the US side as to achieving Western PR exposure and things of that nature. So 
my first action was was to get journalists essentially excited about some of the philanthropic initiatives that Binance was participating in. And then beyond that was how do we now establish a better narrative for the good things that Binance is doing in the world? So that was the the main initiative that I had. And from there, they then leveraged my various networking capacities in which I helped them pilot some of their first Binance Smart Chain projects uh, and things of that nature. So how long were you at Binance and then what happened after Binance? Binance collectively between advisory and actual employment was uh, it was around the I'd say about a year and a half something in that. Okay. Um, and can you repeat the second part of that? Yeah. What did you do after Binance? After Binance, uh, you know, I kind of jumped out of Binance under a leap of faith, which just seems to be kind of uh, what happens a lot in my life where ultimately I jumped out of Binance and I didn't know what to do next, but I knew that I had my advisory agency. And surprisingly, you know, the, the advisory agency really, it took off after my departure from Binance as I had full dedicated attention to it. And that's where uh, all of my time right now resides. That combined with my wife and I run a school chain in Sacramento, California, where we teach mindfulness and meditation to children and their families and so forth. Oh, very cool. So the advisory agency, blockchain advisory agency. Tell us a little bit about what you do, what kinds of companies you work with, and just just give people kind of an understanding of what you're doing these days with this agency that you're running. So blockchain is no different than that of any other tech startup, right? You have a product, you have a vision, and then you're ultimately trying to attract community to be a part of it. Um, so what we do is, is we work with various tier one partners, such as exchanges, VCs, and so forth, that see that there's projects with great opportunity. Um, but perhaps that team is very engineering heavy and doesn't necessarily have the mindset necessary to do proper product marketing, community growth. And we either provide them the services and the know-hows on how to do this, or we find and headhunt the appropriate people that can help them with that process. Think of us as uh, problem solvers, solution seekers, any of the above. Um, We look at projects, we identify the gaps, and then we help to fill them. And the kinds of projects that you're working with, can you describe any of the kinds of projects that you've had a chance to work on? Sure. Uh, yeah, we work with a very wide audience. We, we work with service providers. We work with exchanges. We work with tokens, whether they be top 100 or top 500 or just going through their initial IDO. We work with most any crypto project in this case, but we are very selective with regards to ensuring that the project itself has propensity and has actually a contribution to the space at large in a positive light. And the kinds of work you help them with, are, is it specifically on community development and marketing? Is that what you're focusing on? Yeah, I'd say largely on community development, marketing, as well as uh, strategy. So knowing what they're going to be doing over the next year and determining whether or not it would be exciting enough for a community to want to latch on to it. Um, And then, of course, there's a lot of other components to maintaining success in crypto, which has to do with things like liquidity and just overall wallet wallet holders and things of that, which don't have to dive into all of that as it gets quite technical. Do you feel like Right now, as we're recording this in early 2022, does it feel like a a gold rush era to you? Does it feel like there's so much opportunity that you, is it madness? I mean, like, it feels like it really is madness. It feels like there's so much money at play right now that it's ridiculous. What's your reaction to that? I fully agree. It's uh, So there's great opportunity with regards to what's in the cryptocurrency space. And I do relate it to the gold rush in which I say that we are kind of like the vendors essentially selling the pickaxes and the shovels, right? And those were oftentimes the ones that were successful in the gold rush era. However, that said, it doesn't mean that there aren't the occasions where individuals or companies are otherwise strikingly successful by having a use case, a team, and a vision that really fits the mold of what's necessary in crypto at this point. Unfortunately, 
unfortunately, there are a lot of actors in the space that have ideas and visions that are otherwise completely useless and bring a bad name to the space. In many cases, there are really good companies in this space, and that's, those are the ones that we like to work with most closely. Right now, I know there's a big chunk of my listeners that are like, man, it feels like the whole thing's going to be regulated. And I don't know if I should get in right now. Do you have a, and I know some of this stuff isn't really what we had planned to talk about, but I feel like it's important for people to wrap their brains around this. Do you feel like this is a train that's unstoppable at this point? Do you feel like it's inevitable that this is going to be embraced by pretty much everyone in the world? I do. I, I think that it might not be what we have currently and what what we see in two years or the, the form of mass adoption that we otherwise might be expecting. It might look a lot different, but I think that the technology of Bitcoin, blockchain, Ethereum, all of that's here to stay and is ultimately at this stage indestructible. And that clear point of the words at this stage, right? We have no idea what comes with quantum computing and so forth. But I do think that it's just like, for example, you know, we don't see the Model T running around anymore, right? There's evolutions of a technology that make it better, more efficient, more streamlined. And we're seeing that now with, for example, with the China's adoption of the digital yuan. Um, so like, there's definitely a need of this transparency. Um, but I think that it's going to be an, a matter of an elective transparency, which you'll see other projects such as, you know, Fendora and others that are essentially at this point, you can choose what parts of the ledger are transparent, and what are private and so forth. Um, the government has, I'm sure, no desire to have a fully transparent ledger where anybody can see everything. But some of the fundamentals of blockchain technology, I think, are here to stay. I, I know are here to stay. It's just a matter of how they adapt and otherwise integrate into society at a larger scale. What I'm going to ask you next is a community question. And, and obviously not everybody listening to this show works for an exchange or starting their own currency, but they might be creating NFTs or they might be creating DAOs. And, you know, what we're going to talk about here is so relevant to any kind of project that's built on the blockchain. Um, but, you know, talk to me about the community side of it and why this is so important for all these crypto related projects. Cause it seems to me marketers might have an edge here because they understand community development. So why is it so important? I'll try to speak at this in terms of both crypto as well as non-crypto in which, you know, a product is nothing without community behind it. And the community essentially are your cheerleaders that's going to attract a larger community, right? Um, and it's the, the sheep and the herd mentality. There's a matter of having a community that's passionate about it that otherwise instills trust and confidence in others that are being attracted to the project or to the service, whatever it might be. Um, and we see this in many ways. It's the reason that we use things such as Yelp, right? We want to look to know that a restaurant is widely supported and that people actually have appreciated the food and everything that's being provided by that restaurant, as we don't want to be the first one to go there and get sick or find that it's terrible food and so on. So when it comes to a community, you know, I think that it's incredibly important for any company or any project, any service to have that initial confidence in the way that you build a, an initial community. Everybody wants to have that rocket ship where you go from zero to a million and it usually just doesn't happen, right? It's usually you have a core community, you are very receptive to them, you communicate with them thoroughly, you show your appreciation, you receive their feedback to help mold your project that will become more appealing and more appetizing to a wider audience. So community is everything, in my opinion, for most every single project. Um, what stage that starts at varies based on the project or offering. Um, but I think that in crypto specifically, you know, community is everything because the marketing barriers in crypto are very, uh, very difficult. So it's very challenging to get new community unless you do various tactics and, and we don't have to dive into all the nitty gritty in that. But community in crypto is ultimately the driving success. And I think that that 
has a dotted line with most any other business. In crypto in particular, because everything is out there publicly on the blockchain, I would imagine we talked a little bit about the words transparency and integrity a little bit. If you could speak to those things specifically in relationship to crypto related projects, that would be really useful, I think, for my audience here. When it comes to crypto, I, I suppose you can say that trust is the foundation of everything that's about blockchain, about crypto. If you think about blockchain and what it does, it essentially eliminates the trust factor when it comes to transactional value. So if I go to you, Michael, and I say, uh, you know, I'm going to pay you $100 for your goods or services, you need a middle party, essentially, to validate that I have the money and that you're, it's going to be transferred to you. And you're trusting that middle party and you're paying them a fee of some kind in order to provide this service. Blockchain essentially is removing that middleman entity and providing code, which is otherwise very trustworthy. And that's why they say in blockchain and code we trust, because you can trust the code once you determine that it's safe and know that the computer is not going to act in one way or another based on its own motives. Whereas humans are very indeterminable, right? Every, there's the saying that everybody has their price. You know, if, if there's a, a $100 bill on the ground and I saw someone drop it, am I going to pick it up? You know, if it was a dollar bill, would I see, tell them? Or if it was a $100 bill, would I tell them, right? So there's that wavering of where, when is one uh, human going to act in one way or the other, where computers, at least at this stage, don't have that decision power. So that's kind of like where, when it comes to this transparency and trust, um, and when it comes to developing a community in crypto, the reason I'm saying this is it's all on that foundation of trust in which you have to have a very strong communication with your audience. So starting from, I'll put this into just a couple of key points. Number one is, is that you have to have a mission or a vision statement that otherwise aligns with the audience that you're trying to appeal to. Without that, there's nothing. And that, that aligns with the project and whether or not they're going to be interested in it. The next part, which I feel is just equally important, is the people that are behind the team. Because when you purchase or invest in whatever you want to call it into a project, you're, you're not investing necessarily in the project as much as you are the team behind it and trusting that they're going to execute based on what they're going, what they're promising in that way. And then beyond that, there's communication and how you engage with that community um, and how you otherwise provide them additional confidence or updates and so forth to keep them happy and otherwise satisfied with the progress that's being made. And that's when promises and so forth, if they're broken, you know, there's, there's a very fine line of trust in cryptocurrency. So all of this, I think, are kind of like the key steps of making sure that a crypto project is successful. And then, of course, there's other things that you can put behind it through growth hacking to ensure that you're getting exposure and all of that. But that's a whole other conversation. The point being, though, is, is that project, vision, team and communication, all of those are kind of like in this box that are ultimately really important to ensure the success of any crypto project. Yeah. And I think so many people probably listening to this show, or at least a portion might feel like this is just an, if you build it, they will come thing like instant, just money will flow. But the truth of the matter is that especially with NFTs, you know, which is what so many people are probably going to dabble with in this community first you know, this stuff equally applies. Like there's no way, like people hear stories of people getting scammed all the time by buying fake NFTs. And that's where like, you got to do your due diligence. And because there is no, like you can't go to Visa or MasterCard and say, hey, I was scammed, right? Like that's not an option in the world of crypto, right? It is a contract. And if you don't understand what you're doing, you could be out of your coins, right? And, and and there's been plenty of these stories, right? Where you hear of all these crazy stories of rug pools, which is, you know, when people that the original people just 
sell out and then they disappear. I mean, like there's a lot of scams going on in the crypto world and they have been going on and there's, and there's going to be a lot of opportunists that are out there. That's why I think people are skeptical, right? First of all, they have to understand what the heck is even these, this crypto. How do I even, once they get over the barrier of how do I even buy this? Cause I can't just pull out my American express card and buy this right now. Right. Once they get over that barrier, then they got to like understand who are these people? And and so many of these people are anonymous too, right? Which makes it even harder, Jared. Do you work with projects where it's just people under pseudonyms? Because like that makes it even harder to establish that trust, right? It's really, it's a strange environment. I'll say that much. And there is situations where you'll never see the face of some people that you work with. But I guess what you could say is, is the, the lateral trust of knowing that another person that you work with, that you trust, otherwise trusts this individual, right? Like there's that knowing of the inner circle, I guess you could say. And it's not that, you know, if somebody came up to me that I'd never seen their face, I don't know anybody who knows them. And they're like, we want to do business with you, I'd say, don't know who you are, can't trust that. I'm sorry, right? Right. Um, But say we have had a client for two years and they say that these guys are everything that they say they are, they're trustworthy, we've had this many years of negotiations with no issues, then yeah, it's definitely an opportunity. But to your points of the space and the security and things that follow, you know, there's anything of great opportunity brings corruption alongside it. And that's almost an indicator of opportunity in itself. Like if there's, if there's room for success, there's also room for corruption. And the fact that corruption is present means that there is opportunity in my opinion. So when it comes to the safety aspect, NFTs are a perfect example of this. Like lots of people are jumping into them and there is good opportunity there. There's also great opportunity for artists that can guarantee that they're going to get, you know, something of a revenue share if that NFT is transferred to other people in the future, all of which is embedded in code and otherwise can't be altered. So there's tremendous opportunity in crypto. The unfortunate part is, is that many people just go in the wrong direction and jump into a pitfall and can lose money in that. So what I would say is, is look towards sources that you can trust. And that's ultimately the, the best advice I can give is find someone that you can trust or somebody that knows something of it or find a reputable online source, um, which in itself may be challenging, but um, always be careful when you're jumping into a new space. And especially when it comes to crypto, there's, there's a learning curve. I want to talk a little bit about mission and vision because I think there are so many projects, like we said, it is the wild, wild west. And those that don't have a clear mission or vision like I can see a scenario where you've got a celebrity, right? Who's been brought into the project and this is happening all over the place. Like FTX has the quarterback, Tom Brady, right? Who's yeah. part of part of their, that's a legit company, obviously. And they've got all this funding, but you get these celebrities sometimes who are quote unquote coming on board that are that just because you like a celebrity doesn't mean this is a project that's legit. I'm with you. I think this mission and vision thing is so important because if people are going to invest in a project, they want to know where the heck it's going. Talk to us a little bit about the types of mission and vision that we ought to have if we're going to start a project. Like, what do people expect in the crypto world? Yeah. And I think it all starts with desire of change right? Uh, Anybody that jumps into the space has a vision of what they're going to do that's going to change the space, right? Um, There's infrastructure opportunities where you can improve blockchain technology in itself through various, you know, adjustments to transaction per second or various consensus algorithms. There's lots of ways that you can improve it from an infrastructure side. And then there's also ways that you can improve just the general experience of 
non or more legacy technologies, right? So I work with a project called Seek, for example, and Seek actually is a really unique project in which it helps artists to be paid or monetized in a way that's very transparent through blockchain technology. Whereas, say, for example, Michael, you post a video on YouTube and it gets a million views. At the end of the month, you get a check and you have no idea what that check is itemized by. You have no idea really like, okay, what was I paid for? What was considered a unique view? What was like, there's no data. You're just kind of at the, the whim of that company, essentially, right? Whereas Seek is completely transparent in their compensation. And with respect to these ledger payments and so forth that directly correlates unique views, all of which is very publicly viewable to them. So there's lots of ways where these legacy technologies can be improved. So I guess what I'm saying when it comes back to your question is, is when you have a mission or a vision, it's a matter of one, making sure that it's actually feasible. But two is how is this going to be a change to what currently is a status quo? And when you have that, then it's a matter of determining, do other people feel as passionate about this as I do? And that can be done through something of just an initial pilot or something of an initial query where you can have a landing page and then get determine how many people would be excited about this type of project. Um, and that's where you see things like, I mean, it's kind of like the Kickstarter equivalent without a Kickstarter in which you can query a market before you invest all of these times and resources. And that's kind of the beauty of the, the token sale model is that you essentially are putting forward a roadmap of what it is to develop a project or develop a technology. People invest in that vision and it funds that vision ultimately. So you can essentially have a vision and determine if people are interested in it, they fund it, and then you build it as it goes. The name of that company, is it spelled like it sounds just S-E-E-K or how do we find it? C-E-E-K. Thank you for clarifying that. I figured so much. I figured that, yeah, because that word is such a common word. Okay. Um, communication, you said engagement are important and yet it's complicated, right? Because you're dealing with people who don't really Crypto doesn't have a native communication thing built into it, right? It's just a wallet address. So how in the world do you recommend the clients you're working with have a communication and engagement strategy? Are we talking blog posts or what are we talking about here exactly? So in crypto, there's some pretty common mediums of communication. Blog posts, Medium, for example, are great for roadmap updates. Twitter is most frequented with respect to looking to have the latest and greatest news for whether or not you're determining if you're going to support a project. But most frequently used is Telegram, which is kind of a you know, just more of a peer-to-peer messaging platform that you can essentially utilize to have announcement channels, chat groups, and so forth. So there's lots of ways that you can maintain communication mediums with your various communities. And in the engagement side of things, is that mostly with Twitter then? Because Telegram seems to be mostly a one-way communication platform from the ones I belong to. No, Telegram can be two-way as well. Oh, can it be? Okay. Yes. So for example, you know, a lot of projects I tell them in the earlier stages is, you know, jump into your chat once daily. You're going to have the same questions asked in many cases, Okay. uh, but you can at least show that you're participating, that you're present. Um, And then beyond that, even do a weekly AMA or an ask me anything as we refer to it as, because the project, uh, the community members love more than anything to know that the project is active, that the leaders care about their community, um, which is, you know, very relatable to many aspects of life, right? Discord seems to be one of the bigger tech stacks or whatever that people are using to engage, at least in the NFT world. Are you finding that's also happening in the token world? 
It's starting to shift. Absolutely. And I would say more so on the NFT side, Discord has become increasingly popular, but that also very much depends on the the demographics, right? For example, Japan won't use Discord not so much on Telegram as much, right? They have their own communication mediums in that way. And it's, uh, you know, for example, Vietnam will only use Telegram and not as much on Discord. So it's, you know, it's not saying that that's across the board. There's, of course, going to be people that use both. But we found from our data that, you know, it's very much geographically dependent. And it's the same thing with China, for example, that will use WeChat, but not as much on the side of Discord. Like you have to kind of find where your audience is and then come to them. So at the very beginning of a project, if you don't already have a large social following on like the major platforms like Twitter and YouTube and LinkedIn and Facebook and all the other traditional social platforms, how do you get people into the community to begin is it like a very grassroots effort? Because obviously, like we said, it's really the core of turning these community members, which ideally are owners and whatever, you know, they purchase something like some coins, tokens or whatever. Like, how do you, how do you find them in the, in the very beginning? What's your thoughts on that? That's where we come in, win solutions, right? No, but um, really on a, on a deeper level, I would say that that kind of is mostly on, you know, I talked about earlier how I heard about Bitcoin. I heard about Bitcoin from a friend who I trust. But before that, I heard about Bitcoin hundreds of times on the news. And it wasn't until somebody that I trusted, ultimately, that I decided to dive deeper. And now, if you think further down that chain, he probably heard it from somebody that he trusted, who heard it from somebody that they trusted, that maybe heard it from one of the main influencers on crypto Twitter or something that might be, right? So what it really is, it's a matter of finding those beacons of trust and ultimately finding ways to get them excited about your project, whether it be receiving their feedback, whether it be bringing them on as an advisor, whether it be even compensating them in the form of your tokens. There's lots of ways uh, that you can essentially kind of activate those beacons of trust, but you need a partner to essentially be that medium, right? Like we work with probably every influencer in the crypto space. We also work with various news sources and aggregators and whatever you want to call them. The fact is, is that because we work with them with 15 projects at a time, when another project comes to us and says that they aren't able to get audience share because the influencers don't want to work with them, whatever else, we're responsible for the due diligence to ensure the efficacy and the the actual proper fit of that project into the crypto space, at which point is when we can say, hey, influencer A, we trust this project, you should do something with them or so forth. Whereas if they went directly to them, they're just one of 100 projects that are reaching out to them. So we essentially would be the trust mechanism between them and their opportunity to get their presence in the crypto space, um, which is then followed by a number of other growth hacking techniques that we offer to otherwise amplify their presence in the crypto space at large. Are there any examples that you could talk about that either projects you've worked on in the past or projects you're working on right now you don't have to name specific names of influencers or whatever, but I think people would like to get a little peek in, into kind of like the process and how it works if you're able to. Yeah, what I'll say, and this is going to be a very kind of candid unraveling the onion, I guess you could say, right? But yeah, when it comes to influencers in the crypto space, I always say that they have a short half-life. And the reason I say that is, is say, for example, I'm an influencer and I have a million followers and I tell all of my followers that this project coming out is amazing and it's the biggest project that's coming out in 2022. And I have you as a follower and you have $10,000 that you're like, I trust Jared. I'm going to invest $10,000 into this project. And that project, maybe it does well, maybe it doesn't. But then the next week, I have another project that I'm saying that this project is going to be the best project of 2022 in addition to the project before. You don't have $10,000 more. 
you're you're at a point now where you're essentially going to have to either sell the ten thousand dollars that you invested in the other one with your profit or loss and determine if you want to go into this one. If it was at a loss, are you going to trust me again? Probably not. If it was at a profit, at that you're just going to sell on the previous project, which is going to drop the price of the other project to put into the new project. So what I mean is is that. These influencers, they have a very short half-life of really good effectiveness. And finding these influencers while they're early in the game to where they haven't become so saturated or got their eyes fixed on the prize of, wow, I can get $30,000 a video is really challenging. So this market is always ever-changing and evolving. So we try to keep a really good pulse on it. There's a lot of influencers out there that you can look towards like BitBoy Crypto, Crypto Wendy. There's tons of them. And then there's also influencers that are less on like the YouTube publicity side and more of just growing their own personal trusted network on Twitter and things of that, which are more so referred to as micro-influencers. So, you know, you can look around at the top 10 lists of influencers and so forth. The thing I will say is, is while they'll be effective, say you get 10,000 members that come as a result of a campaign, 9,000 will probably drop off after a month and you'll have 1,000 left over. And then those thousand, it's up to the team to maintain the sentiment of that community to hold on to that. Because that's where it's an ever-changing mechanism of marketing. And it's really challenging to have like a clear recipe to it. But again, that's kind of where Win Solutions comes in to make sure that these projects are setting a good foot forward and not burning their runway. This is interesting. Is influencer marketing the big initial catalyst for so many of these things? Or is it just a piece of the puzzle? I'm just curious. Just a piece of the puzzle. I think the biggest piece is is how a project launches. And a project launches with partners, whether it be an exchange or whether it be a launch pad. And then when you launch in those launch pads, you essentially accumulate some of the community from that launch pad. And it's cyclical in nature, right? You'll have everybody invest and the price as they this, this gets very in the weeds, but I'm going to try to make it very lame. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. When you invest in a private sale, usually, so let's say 10 cents is the public sale price. When you invest in a private sale, you're investing at six cents, five cents, which is all the insiders and not available to the public. You Say you put in $10,000, you know at public sale that that's going to be worth $20,000 because on public sale, that's when the public can invest in a project and it's going to be worth what much more. Essentially, then what happens is, is that once all the, the private sale and public sale is concluded, those in the private sale are going to want to sell at the higher price to 2x their return, which is going to lower the price. And essentially, the initial 30 days of a project, most are going to diminish and go lo- lower in price, as most people will panic and feel that they're not going to get a return. So you have like a 30-day window at the very beginning of a project where you know, you're, you know, it's just, you're going to lose a majority of your community, that 90% that I was referring to the key marketing where you get your real users thereafter, and you have your 10% of enthusiasts that can maintain that sentiment is how do you attract new members on top of it that will be more passionate about the project and less passionate about making a quick return. And that's where it's really important to align with the appropriate influencers, align with the appropriate PR campaigns and so forth that paint your project in the proper light. That's where all of that comes in. So it's, uh, there's, I could talk about this all day because it's really not an easy subject, but that's, uh, that's what I would say is kind of like the caveat to it. Have you been on projects where they've incentivized, like, let's say a small community? I'm assuming, and this is kind of very generic, but I'm assuming you've got your initial investors and they've all got their network, right? So you have a network, they have a network. They're letting their friends and family know about the project and probably bringing them in as the initial community. Maybe doing contests. I've seen some of these platforms do contests where they say, hey, if you 
tweet this out this many times and do this and you can earn some of this. I mean, is this the kind of stuff that you see happening, incentivizing people to share? They're referred to as bounty campaigns, okay. essentially. So yes, that, that happens quite frequently as well. And uh, you'll notice it more so taking place in, um, in third world countries where the payout, like say it's only 10 bucks that you know I could get for doing all of that. Maybe it's not worth anything to me, but maybe it's worth you know, a day's or five days salary in another country. So that's usually where you see a lot of what looks like spam. Um, but there's definitely value in those types of campaigns. It's like affiliate marketing almost, isn't it? It is. Yeah. And that's where there's a lot of incentive mechanisms with blockchain. I mean, imagine having your own treasury that you could choose how to use to grow the company, right? Right. Um, that's essentially what it is, is that you have this token that you can use for many purposes to grow the brand and to grow the presence of the company. How big of a community do you feel like is necessary? Like, is there a secret number in your brain? Like if we had this many people in an active community, this is like, is there an ideal number that you've seen at the early stages of projects? And what is that number? It really varies based on the project and what it is, right? Like GameFi, um, which is, you know, game finance is very popular, right? Where if the project is less than 5,000, 10,000 people, even you're like, what went wrong? right? Because everybody likes to play games and everybody likes to make money for playing games. So, well, not everybody. Like, let me take that back. Not everybody, but most people. Like, it's a very, it's a larger audience is what I'm trying to say in that. Right. But for an infrastructure project, you know, maybe you'll get a thousand, two thousand, right? What I would say is it's less about the number and more about the actual activity and the volume that's taking place on the token. That's, I think, most important in that regard. Let's say we've got that community of a thousand people. What do you think is important that we could do to keep them actively excited and engaged and wanting to evangelize, right? Because I think the ultimate mission is to turn these token holders into evangelists that are going to tell other people, right? So what are some tips or techniques you might have on that front? It's like the carrot on a stick. You know, you put the carrot in front of the horse and the horse continues to go forward. And the, the carrot is, it's the responsibility of the project to determine what that carrot is. People invest in speculation. They don't necessarily invest in the project. They want to invest in things that they think are going to be worth more than what it was that they purchased for. Being communicative and letting the communities know, like, these are the things that are on our roadmap. Okay, we're this close to it. We have this coming out and so forth. Everybody wants to know that they're earlier to something than somebody else. Just like with Bitcoin. Right now, if somebody invests in Bitcoin, it's like I should have invested five years ago. People who invested five years ago said that they should have invested two years ago. You know, it's that type of thing where everybody wants to be early to the game to get the maximum returns and feel like they were the first to something um, that otherwise people will look at them like, wow, I wish I was you. Right. So I think the, the biggest communication opportunity is, is being very strategic with the way that you hype and build excitement for what's to come with your project. But most importantly is doing so in a way that's trustworthy and that you're not going to fail to meet expectations because there's no quicker way to lose trust in a community. Do you have any tips on how to build that hype without coming out, coming across as hypey? Because, <laughs> you know, I mean, like hype can be shallow or it can be really well done. You don't want to like come off like you're just shilling something like, oh yeah, something's in 30 days, get ready. You know, it's like, okay, say we have something that is releasing in 30 days. Hey, we, as mentioned, we have this on our roadmap coming up in 30 days. We wanted to give you a sneak peek on what it looks like. Here's a quick look at this angle of it, or here's a quick look at this. Hey, we're now two weeks away. This is the quick update. We've run into these things. We run into these snags, but we're still on schedule. When this comes out, we anticipate that it's going to bring this value to the community and so on and so forth. So that's kind of like, it's not so much about generating hype, but it is about 
hype is kind of a negative connotation to it. It's really about ensuring that your audiences have something to be excited for, I guess, is or something to look forward to, I guess it is. Less about actual product and more about the development of excitement for what's to come. Yeah, and that really comes down to communication, right? Because if you're not actively communicating with your audience, which one can say a lot of the technical and engineering and finance folks, maybe communication isn't their strong suit. If you're regularly communicating with what's in the pipeline, how well it's coming along, possibly even soliciting feedback, you know, what comes to my mind is, aren't there likely scenarios where there's going to be some active members of the community that ought to be kind of lifted up, if you will, and given bigger opportunities like to be moderators or to be, if you will, unofficial representatives of the projects and stuff. Do you find that as also a cool way to get, you know, engagement going? Absolutely. It's, it's easier to reward passion than it is to create it. Right. So when it comes to these, these actors, that's 100%. You want to empower those that are bringing the most value to your project and you want to reward them. You want to recognize them. We all have those things instilled in us, which we want to get the gold star and we want to have something that makes us more perceived as a greater part of a project than just the next person beneath it. Right. So I, I think that that is a huge component is really identifying who is making the biggest waves with regards to the excitement of the project, who's supporting it the most, who's bringing you the most value, and then more importantly, recognizing them as a contributor and helping that, having them essentially contribute more somehow. My favorite quote is, uh, it's Dwight D. Eisenhower, it's motivation's the art of getting people to do what you want them to do because they want to do it. So if you can find ways to essentially empower them if this is what they want to do, essentially, is become an enthusiast for a project, empower them to do it. And if that's what they want to do, they're going to do it even better, right? 100%. Now, we're recording this in early 2022. Put on your prediction cap. Five years from now, where do you think we're going to be? Where do you see all this going? And I know five years in crypto feels like maybe 10 years in the regular world, maybe even 15 years. But where do you see this all going? Firstly, this is not financial advice. Uh, you know, I'm going to put that as a disclaimer. If you look at where crypto was five years ago today, you know, Bitcoin was $1,000, right? It's now been at a high of almost $70,000. And today, I think we're at about 38000 Five years from now, who knows? Like we're at 38 times and a maximum of 70 times where we're at. And if you consider it on a halving schedule, it's usually it will grow at half the rate in the next five-year cycle. So I would say that five years from now, though, for, aside from a price perspective, I would say that we will see a lot more adoption or rejection of blockchain technologies. I think more so on the side of adoption, in which I see that this is a favorable technology that otherwise is impenetrable in many cases that will be more widely adopted in many cases. So if you are to jump into crypto, do in a way that's conservative. Um, there's a, a term called dollar cost averaging. And I would highly recommend anybody that jumps into crypto to follow that type of model when it comes to a safe investing process. Where do you think the community side of things is going to go in five years? You know, like how imagining there's going to be a bazillion projects in five years, right? Do you think it's going to be the strongest community that's ultimately going to win this thing? I do. And I think it, it, the strongest community, but the project that can be that can provide the most simplification. I think that right now the barrier to entry for many crypto projects is quite high. And I think the ones that are succeeding are the ones that are alleviating or otherwise removing those barriers to entry of knowledge and things of that. So I think that that is what will probably drive success for the best project. Jared Wynn, W-I-N-N, for those listening to the podcast, where can people discover more about you if they want to 
track you down or communicate with you or maybe share a project they're working on with you? So you can find me on Twitter or LinkedIn. Uh, it's just slash Jared Wynn, my, my first name, last name, two R's, two N's. Uh, mm-hmm. And then for uh, just general service inquiries, you can always find us on win.solutions. That's W-I-N-N.solutions for our advisory agency. But more than happy to have a quick chat with anybody who's interested in learning a little bit more about crypto or as just general requirements, you know, growing themselves as a project. Jared, thank you so much for answering all my questions and helping people understand what it's like to kind of be on the, the, the backside of some of these amazing projects. I know that I understand a lot more about this, so thank you. Of course, Michael, and thank you so much for having me. It's been really a pleasure. Hey, if you missed anything, we took all the notes for you over at socialmediaexaminer.com slash C10, as in the letter C and the number 10. If you're new to this show, be sure to follow us and let your friends know about this show. I am at Stelzner on Instagram. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Crypto Business Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you next week. I hope you make the best out of your day and may Web 3.0 continue to change your world. The information provided in the Crypto Business Podcast is provided solely for educational purposes. Do not treat what you hear as investment, trading, or financial advice. Do your own research. The Crypto Business Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.